Welcome into a football Friday where the college game day bus is on the Wake Forest campus right now and the top-ranked Tigers will soon join them in Winston-Salem. By the way, Chris Paul was just announced to be the guest picker for the show, but I want to start with my prediction for Panthers-Raiders. Here's what I think is going to be the difference Sunday at Bank of America Stadium. Two things. Preparation and urgency. To me, the Raiders, they are more prepared to play right now and will play with more urgency than the Carolina Panthers. So quite simply, they're going to win the game on Sunday. Here's a key stat to me that I continue to go back to. The Las Vegas Raiders return 77% of their snaps. That's offense, defense, and special teams. That is 12th in the NFL. They are bringing back all three of their coordinators. The Carolina Panthers, meanwhile, new offensive coordinator, new defensive coordinator, new head coach, and they're only returning 46.5% of their snaps from a year ago. They're dead last, and they're dead last by a substantial margin. They are going to be a historical case study of how important OTAs are in person for a new coaching staff, preseason games, training camp. For rookies, so many that the Panthers are relying on, they are the only team in the National Football League with a new head coach and a new quarterback in 2020. Nobody with any head coaching experience on this staff. Like even the Giants, Joe Judge, hard to say if that's a good hire. I guess we'll see how it looks Monday night against the Steelers, but at least they brought back Jason Garrett or brought in Jason Garrett to be the OC. I don't care how you feel about Garrett. He has head coaching experience. I think that's a pretty big deal. Matt Rule, the only criticism I had of his hires, no head coaching experience. That's something I believe matters, especially during a pandemic when coaches are trying to make the transition and you don't have in-person off-season Uh, participation to try and implement what you're trying to do. They're limited. Carolina is the most ill-prepared team in the entire league for that reason. Secondly, the Raiders, they rely less on rookies than Carolina. Now, you're going to see some of them out there. I see that Damon Arnett, who some were surprised to see the Raiders take so high out of Ohio State, the corner, He's probably going to start there. If not, Kyle Wilbur, a Wake Forest guy, he's going to be able to play at corner. Uh, That's not a strength of the Raiders, but for every single Henry Ruggs and Brian Edwards there is on offense, in terms of weapons, the Raiders are going to try and divvy it out to, you find a Hunter Renfro or a Zay Jones or a Darren Waller who is probably going to be matched up, either him or Jason Witten, matched up with Jeremy Chin making his first career start. The last time he played a competitive snap of football. This is crazy to me. He was not just playing college football. He was playing for FCS Southern Illinois. The last competitive snap he played against an opponent, since there's no preseason, was... For Southern Illinois, now he's going to be on the field potentially for the first snap on defense for Carolina against the Las Vegas Raiders. Good luck with that. There's a chance they could start three rookies on defense. Troy Pride Jr., he's in line to start for the injured Eli Apple. Derek Brown, he's going to start in the D-line. And here's another one for you. 
Actually, maybe there's four rookies I could start. I mentioned Chen, but Steven Weatherly, we were just told by Matt Rule a short while ago, he pulled his hammy. So he's questionable for Sunday. If Weatherly doesn't go, odds are it's going to be rookie Penn, uh, rookie out of Penn State, Yator Gross Montos. Carolina could be asking four rookies to step in and play immediately. And what do we always hear about with rookies playing, uh, especially early on? Man, it's hard to simulate the speed of the game. That's what you see in preseason. That's what preseason's for, to try and get younger guys adjusted to the speed of the NFL, which is, and has always been, a big jump from college football. These guys, these rookies, are going to try and do that in real time. And it could produce disastrous results. Now to the urgency front. You can't tell me Carolina has more urgency than the Vegas Raiders do. The Raiders, they bring in John Gruden, 10 years, $100 million, which I always found funny. Remember there were some GMs and owners mad in the NFL when Matt Rule got the seven-year contract, close to 70 mil? Oh, no, they're setting a new standard for what you got to pay coaches. What are you doing, David Tepper? Nobody seemed to have that issue with Mark Davis handing John Gruden $100 million 10 years when he'd been out of coaching for 10 seasons. Nobody seemed to care, but they did when it came to the new guy on the block, David Tepper. This is year three for Gruden. They're now in a new city. They got a new football stadium. I don't know how many fans, genuinely, I don't know how many fans are going to put in that stadium that looks like a Roomba. But the urgency is there for Vegas to win now, not for Carolina. What's the story on Matt Rule that we always hear? And David Tepper is happy to tell us. Oh, he won one game his first year at Baylor. He won two games his first year at Temple. It takes time to rebuild it. The day he fired Ron Rivera, if you think Carolina is, if we're just going to bring somebody in and he's going to magically put us into the playoffs, I'd like to introduce you to the Easter Bunny. David Tepper's telling you, he doesn't expect to win this year. The urgency's not to win this year. For Vegas, eh, it kind of is. Gruden hasn't been to the playoffs yet. So that's why I think the Raiders are going to beat Carolina on Sunday. My score, Raiders 28, Carolina 20. Let's uh, transition things. Sawyer Dillon's the producer of this show, by the way. However, and wherever you were listening, appreciate that. What do you expect to happen on Sunday at Bank of America Stadium? Panthers, Raiders, 336-777-1600 on Twitter at SportsUpTribe. Last night, oh, it felt good to watch NFL football, as you may have heard on SportsUpTribe, the Kansas City Chiefs taking out the Houston Texans. This is something that frustrates me. I think football is the most popular sport in America, but also the sport that people understand the least. Now, you follow it ravenously, but listen to the way a coach describes why teams win versus the way fans describe what happens on the football field. It, it sounds like two different languages. So today, I've seen a lot of lazy analysis from last night. And the one that's bothered me the most is saying Houston lost last night because they missed DeAndre Hopkins. 
former Clemson receiver DeAndre Hopkins, who just got paid this past weekend. With If they had to shot DeAndre Hopkins, oh, it could have been a totally different football game. Heard that literally a dozen times over the last day. That was not the reason the Texans lost. We tend to overvalue wide receivers. Maybe it's because of how popular fantasy football is. Hey, this guy, he was great for my fantasy team, so maybe him catching a ton of balls, that's the reason why the Texans are good or when he doesn't catch a bunch of balls, it's why they're bad. I get it. They're big names when they're not there anymore. When you grow to like these players and they get moved somewhere else, you tend to be upset about it. But the truth has always been about wide receivers. They are luxury items. That's what they are. They are luxury cars, to use an analogy. Luxury cars, if you can afford them, they're great. If you can afford a Lamborghini or a Ferrari, more power to you. That's awesome. But they're not a necessity. They're not. Like, you would not. Somebody would be a poor, uh, make poor decisions if they're trying to pay a, a, a down payment for their Ferrari before they take care of their mortgage, right? So why would you pay a wide receiver $20 million a year if you have issues with the foundation of your home, with your home altogether? Houston could not afford Hopkins. They couldn't. So they had to shift him to a team that had a rookie quarterback, and that team was Arizona. We saw Deshaun Watson get the massive deal, and everybody applauded that, right? Well, the only reason they have the capital to do that right now, well, they traded away DeAndre, and nobody wants to talk about that. They rarely are the difference between winning and losing. Here's what the difference was last night. Houston couldn't protect Watson, and the corners couldn't cover. That seems to be a pretty big deal. <laughs> uh, I mentioned yesterday, Houston secondary, not really good. I like former Deke Lonnie Johnson, but eh, not a good secondary. And we saw them getting burned left and right. I don't want to completely blame the corners, though. Mahomes, he was pretty cozy in the pocket. They didn't get a lot of pressure there. But Kansas City, rushing four, sometimes three, got into Watson's face time and time again. That was the difference. Oh, yeah, and Kansas City's really good. I should probably note that. They're my Super Bowl pick. I think they're going to repeat. And not every single game has to have has to carry this deeper uh, meaning, deeper significance. We try to blow things up and make them into these long, these uh, deep narratives based on a very small sample size. Last night, it's pretty simple. Houston, not a great organization, not a great line, not great corners, not a great team, really good quarterback going up against a championship team, a championship coach, a championship organization. Kansas City's two touchdowns better than Houston. That's that's all that was. And Clyde Edwards-Alaire turns out to be a really good pick. Shocker. All right, I got my best bats. Sawyer Dillon, you're excited for this. I haven't told you who I've picked yet. After a 3-1, make it a 2-1 opening week. 2-1 last weekend. I've got five bets. Five bets for the football weekend, college and pro. And I'll share those with you next on The Drive.
Sawyer, you got your notepad ready? I've got five bets here after a two and one opening week. Best bets. We're fired up and ready to go with the NFL starting this weekend. College ball, of course, with the ACC kicking off last night. Miami with De'Eric King taking care of business against the UAB Blazers. These picks, last year we were 50-45-3. and three. The year before that we hit 60% of our picks, so we're pretty good at being in the plus column. Let's try to continue our good start to the season. Again, this is Best Bats. Your attention, please. Please do not turn off your radio. Why? All right. Got him right here on this piece of paper, Sawyer. Yes, I just ruffled the piece of paper for effect into the microphone. First game, bet what you know. Charlotte at Appalachian State. Last year, these teams combined to nearly put up 100. 56-41 was the score of that one. A lot of people were surprised how good Charlotte was in year one. Full recruiting class coming in now for Will Healy. Uh, App State has a new coach. Even though they keep the same infrastructure in place as Coach Clark's been around for both Eli Drinkwitz and Scott Satterfield, I think there's going to be a little bit of a transition period. I wouldn't be surprised if Charlotte upsets App State. I think it's just going to be a close game. It's a 17-point spread here. Charlotte plus 17, my first bet. If there were fans in Boone, I might feel differently since there are not going to be. Charlotte, they're a team I feel like is better than last year. If I had to guess, App State, better team than Charlotte, but not quite as good as they were a year ago. It's hard to keep and maintain that level of play. So Charlotte plus 17, my first bet. Put some money on it. Duke at Notre Dame. I think this is, this has the best chance, the best potential of an upset in ACC play the first weekend. I'm not predicting that because I like Notre Dame to go to the college football playoff. But a new offensive coordinator for Notre Dame, it's a younger guy in Tommy Reese. How exactly is that going to look? Ian Book, he doesn't strike me as this intimidating, dominant gunslinger type that Trevor Lawrence can be and Sam Howe was a year ago. And Duke, don't look now, but Chris Rump Jr. on the defensive line. Potential first-round pick, he's great. Linebacking court always seems to be good for David Cutcliffe. Really strong secondary. I also happen to like Chase Bryce a lot. He's going to get his full-time opportunity as a starter transferring from Clemson. It's his first start. Cutcliffe, he's a wizard working with quarterbacks. I think this is going to be a really close game at halftime, kind of like the Alabama game was for Duke in the opener a year ago. Duke plus 20 in the hook. Remember, underdogs in the five FBS games last week were 4-1 against the spread with two outright wins. Duke, plus three touchdowns, is bound to cover in South Bend. Put some money on it. Also, Duke strangely plays well in South Bend. They got that win in 2016, I think. Wake Forest, plus 35, or make it 33 against Clemson. I'm not getting a half point here. Wake plus 33 against Clemson. I'm getting all of these odds according to FanDuel. This one's personal to me. 
Similar to the way I would never bet the under for a game I plan on watching, especially in college football. If I'm going to a game, like I'm going to attend tomorrow's game, Clemson Wake Forest, I'm not going to bet a 33 and a half point spread on the favorite. I, I want to watch a good game. I'm betting on the Deeks, you know? I do a radio show here in the triad. I'm going on the Deeks here. I've said it all offseason. I don't think Clemson's as strong as they were last year. There's a chance things could get ugly. The product might not look the same. Clemson not nearly as explosive at wide receiver. 33 points here. Game days in Winston-Salem. Come on, Deeks. You're going to cover 33. Put some money on it. To the NFL. Raiders minus three against the Panthers. I just don't know how the Panthers get stops. It's almost like we forget that the Panthers, well, they were worst in the NFL in opposing yards per rush. And Derek Carr, 4,000 yards passing last year, 21 touchdowns, 8 interceptions. You wouldn't think that with the perception of the Raiders. But given how bad things look and how dilapidated this defense seems to be, I just see the Raiders scoring next to 30 points. I don't think Carolina gets close to that. I, I just think the Raiders are going to cover three points. I'm not worried about the fact it's in Charlotte. If it was any other week, I might be concerned about a West Coast team traveling east. Not in week one. Not without any preseason games. The Raiders have had time to adapt to that. Raiders minus three against Carolina. Put some money on it. And lastly, this might be the surprise pick of the entire segment. The Cleveland Browns at the Baltimore Ravens. As good as Baltimore was last year, they lost by double digits to Cleveland at home. I think this is a playoff team. I think Cleveland is. I think Baltimore is going to end up winning the entire AFC and win the uh, AFC North. But that means Cleveland can't make this a game. I'm getting eight and a half points, according to FanDuel. Browns plus eight and a half. They might lose by a field goal, but they might just win this game. MNT Bank Stadium. I've been to a handful of games there in Baltimore. It's an intimidating environment. No fans are going to be there. Browns plus eight and a half. They're going to cover against Baltimore. And there you have it. Put some money on it. My picks. Charlotte plus 17 against App State. Duke plus 20 in the hook at Notre Dame. Wake plus 33 against Clemson. The Raiders. The Raiders. Minus three against the Panthers. And to round things out, the Browns plus eight and a half. At Baltimore. You got all that written down, Sawyer? It's locked in. Actually, I already put in uh, my bets, so we're good. There you go. I don't actually bet real money, by the way. I feel like I should throw that out there. This is all fake money. At least that's what I tell the IRS. In a little over five minutes, Todd Blackledge, who's going to be on the call for Wake and Clemson tomorrow, is going to join the show. But, man, I got to talk about this. Last night, see... I understand people who don't like politics and sports. I'm not interested in politics. I never talk about them on this show. But all those people, all the people that tell me to stick to sports when something vaguely resembles something political and the overlap you see between politics and sports. I never hear those people complaining when Clay Travis is having on governors and Congress people and even the president of the United States. And I don't think that's much of a coincidence. Just like... I don't think it's a coincidence. Many of the same people I know in the Midwest, Kansas City, who booed 
when players demonstrated during the national anthem saying, why would you do that in front of our flag? Many of the same people who booed when they didn't demonstrate during the anthem, when they locked arms after the fact, because guess what? It probably turns out it wasn't about the flag after all. Shocker! Four years later, we're learning it's not much about the flag. But to people who are skeptical about watching the NFL or watching the NBA or watching sports because of how politicized things have become, I've had this conversation recently. You can't find a better role model for children than the top flight athletes you see on television. Athletes are the best role models in society. Not all of them. Charles Barkley, he'll, he'll be first to tell you, I am not a role model, and some of them aren't. But generally, athletes, they have great habits. We'd love, we'd love for our children to be as hardworking as athletes are, to have as good of, uh, of diet uh, habits as they have, um, to be in the physical shape that they are in, to listen to authority as well as they do, cooperation, teamwork. These are all things we want for our children. But I have no issue at times they speak out on things that matter to them because they're in the rare position, unlike us, where they have access and influence, influence over important people. These owners who are billionaires, you're not going to cross paths with David Tepper casually. It's just not going to happen. These athletes have power, in a sense, over them working together with them, which means they can actually make changes. They can do things that are better and make things better for their communities. And the last thing, whether uh, whatever they achieve in their careers, it's always going to be earned, not given. Always. You can't say that about every success story. Sometimes somebody inherits millions and billions in some instances, and they're set up with just a ton of advantages. You don't often see that in professional athlete stories. You see guys who came from tough neighborhoods or guys who have pursued athletics, even though the odds are stacked against them, outworked everyone around them, outperformed everybody around them in order to achieve the riches that they gain. So just something to think about the next time you are criticizing an athlete. I get that you don't like politics and sports and it might seem like dessert to you. Don't give me spinach when I'm expecting dessert. I understand that. And we don't talk politics because I don't like politics. But um, these athletes, they can make real change and they've had made real changes and it's because they are the people we should all aspire our children and the next generation to be like. All right. Where can Trevor Lawrence's game go from here? Lofty expectations after one year. Even higher expectations, it seems like, going into his third season. Todd Blackledge, he's a Davey O'Brien Award winner way back when. He'll be on the call for Wake Clemson tomorrow. And we'll be, you guessed it, our guest next on The Drive. It's going to be a great day tomorrow in Winston-Salem. College game day in town for the first time. So that's in the morning. 
In the evening time, though, they're going to turn the lights on at Truist Field, and it's going to be the number one team in America facing Wake Forest. And the national spotlight will be on the Deeks. ABC, 730. Todd Blackledge with us now. He's going to be on the call alongside Sean McDonough and Allison Williams and Todd McShay, and we look forward to watching in a national sense. It's the first time the Deeks have been in a network national primetime uh, slot since uh, 2011. And Todd, I remember a while ago, you used to do a segment called Todd's Taste of the Town when you would visit yep. a local restaurant and uh, sample in culinary delights. What's your read yep. on the taste of Winston-Salem? Well, unfortunately, I am stuck in my hotel, so I haven't had a chance to go out and taste. You know, I mean, part of the the protocols that are in place for everybody, players, coaches at various schools, and, and us as ESPN personnel, uh, had to go through testing here when I got in town yesterday and waiting on those results. And, and uh, so just kind of working and operating out of the hotel for right now. So uh, I have not been able to venture out. But uh, but I'm sure if I get back here at another time when when it's a different uh, different day and age, uh, I'll find some places for sure. As a former Davy O'Brien Award winner, I'm interested in what you make of Trevor Lawrence going into year three. It's rare you see a guy as accomplished as Trevor is going into his third year. What would you like to see, Trevor? Uh, where would you like to see Trevor Lawrence's game go this season? You know, it's hard to it's hard to to pick things that he doesn't do well. I mean, you you have to be very nitpicky to do that. You know, I think last year when the season started off, coming off of the national championship uh, win and and how well he played in the in the playoffs, I think maybe he tried to do a little too much. You know, maybe took some chances, made some careless mistakes where he threw the football, and he threw some interceptions. Uh, early in the year and then he settled down and played beautifully the rest of the year and so I think we'll see a more mature Trevor Lawrence I don't think he will you know make some of the same mistakes early in the season like he did a year ago um, you know it's been fun to watch him mature as a, as a man you know not just as a quarterback uh, because he's got enormous skills but uh, just watching him mature as a leader you know I, I covered his very first start uh, Sean and I did when he played against Syracuse when they made the decision to go away from Kelly Bryant and go yeah. to Trevor Lawrence. And uh, we were in town for that. And, you know, he was so respectful of Kelly Bryant and liked him so much and didn't want to step on toes. And so he kind of eased his way into that leadership role. And just to see that grow over the last couple of years. And then obviously this summer, some of the things that he did and stepping out in the forefront um, it's been fun to watch. I mean, he's a great representative, not only of the Clemson Tigers, but of college football. It was a very memorable game that you're referencing there, where in his first yeah. start, he goes down getting injured. Chase Bryce steps in. He has that fourth and six. He converts to essentially save Clemson season that ended with the national title. Chase Bryce going to be making his first start for the Duke Blue Devils tomorrow against yeah. Notre Dame. So bringing that full circle a bit. Let's look on the other side, though. Wake Forest. They're a big underdog in this game. They've lost 115-6 to against Clemson in the last two meetings combined. How can Wake Forest make this competitive? What's an area you think Dave Clawson is highlighting? 
Well, there's two things that stand out to me. Number one, you know, in Hartman, he has a quarterback who's not green. He's he's had some experience. He's had good experience. He's played well, you know, at times in his career. And so so he can hang his hat on that a little bit, even though he's surrounded by a lot of new and kind of unproven guys. Uh, and for Hartman, he has to be very smart with the football. You know, they can't they can't give Clemson short fields. They They have to... Um, make Clemson, you know, earn everything they get in the game. So take care of the football, um, you know, and, and make Clemson play with the long field. Because I think the other area and the other thing that, that Dave Clawson has to feel good about is the experience that he has on his defense, particularly in the front seven. You know, you've got a you've got a very experienced group going against a relatively young, new offensive line. Uh, Jackson Carmen, the left tackle, is the only returning starter on Clemson's offensive line. Now, you know, these guys played a lot last year because Clemson blew people out, and so their backup linemen got a chance to play a lot last year. But it's still different being a starter and, and being out there all the time. So I think, you know, if there's one area that you could pick and say Wake Forest is at least on even footing with Clemson and maybe has a slight edge, it would be that. It would be their defensive front seven, their experience, and and how long they've played together against a more inexperienced group up front for Clemson. It might spell good things for Boogie Basham, who your broadcast partner Todd McShay has uh, set to be a first round pick next year. We'll keep an eye on that. Todd Blackledge with us. He's on Twitter at Todd underscore Blackledge on the call tomorrow for Wake Forest and Clemson on ABC. So I mentioned you were a Davy O'Brien, uh, Davy O'Brien Award winner. You went to Penn State and played for Joe Paterno, and Matt Rule did the same exact thing, and he's getting set to make his NFL debut tomorrow. Joe Brady, he brings him from LSU to be his offensive coordinator. I know you covered Matt when he was at Baylor and at Temple. Um, Give me a sense for how difficult you think it is for Coach Rule, for Joe Brady, to try and make the leap from college to the pros. Well, I don't think it will be as difficult as people might think because they both have some NFL, you know, pedigree and experience. It wasn't a lot, but, you know, Matt Rule spent some time with the Giants, so he understands the league. I think that's part of why he was so attractive to so many NFL people over the last couple of years, uh, in addition to just his leadership and organization and just how he's run his program. And the same thing with Joe Brady. He's a young guy. Uh, but, you know, he spent some time with good people, you know, on Sean Payton's staff in New Orleans. And, you know, what he brought to the LSU last year was a lot of what he learned and experienced there. So um, so they weren't completely new to the NFL, just just pretty young in it. But I think uh, I think both of them will will fit in very well. Have you prepared for what tomorrow's going to feel like being in a building with no fans and how that might look and sound on television? Yeah, I don't know how you can prepare for that. Um, you know, I've watched games. Uh, you know, I, I, this is the first time that we've gone out. So I watched last weekend. I watched, you know, the games on week zero. And uh, it's it, it's different for sure. And it looks different. It sounds different. And I'm sure it will feel different. However, I do think you know, for me anyway, whether there's a hundred thousand people or not, uh, you know, that energy and that excitement and that passion and all that, that you feel, you feel in pregame. But once the game starts and I have my headsets on, I mean, I'm locked in and just calling ball, you know, (laughs) I'm just calling the game. And so I think from that standpoint, 
it will be the same. Uh, and, and, you know, I think the mechanics of it will be very, very similar. So we'll see. It's just crazy to think six months ago today, uh, I saw Sean McDonough, I saw Allison Williams in our backyard at the Greensboro Coliseum when yeah. we all learned that Tom Hanks and Rudy Gobert tested positive and essentially all of sports came to a halt. I'm just excited to be back in a venue watching uh, a sporting event. I think most people listening can agree that while it's not perfect, it's certainly better than not having college football at all. And we look forward. I know many people are excited to watch your broadcast tomorrow night. It might be the highest rated Clemson Wake Forest <laughs> game of all time, Todd. Yeah, well, I, that's what I've told my you know my friends and family. They ask me, you know, what do I think about the season and going out? And I just said, look, it's going to be really different. But I'll take different over nothing any day of the week. You know, I mean, I love college football. I'm excited to be out doing a game. I know some of my colleagues, you know, have called games from their homes or from a studio in Charlotte or Bristol. And and I think under those circumstances, guys have done great jobs. But uh, I'm glad to be out. I'm glad to be in the stadium tomorrow night. And, um, you know, I just hope we can continue to do this on a weekly basis in a very safe manner. And and, because ultimately that's, you know, that's what you want. You want a full season. You want to have a college football playoff and all that, but you want to do it in a way that's safe for everybody involved. So let's hope that we can do that. Right on. Very well said. Have a great call tomorrow night. Look forward to seeing you at the, in the press box at Truist Field. All right, man. Take care. You got it. That's Todd Blackledge joining us from ESPN and ABC, 7.30 kickoff time tomorrow. And we know who the guest picker is going to be, Chris Paul. Look at Chris coming through. Here's my suggestion. I know Chris Paul's a big fan of the show, so this is going straight to Chris. Chris, West Forsyth jersey. That's what I want. I want him to wear the West Forsyth jersey on game day. I have a feeling he's going to be wearing the Deacon gear instead, but you could always go West Forsyth jersey and maybe maybe Deacon hat. That's a thought. I know he has his own branding he might want to put out there. Who am I kidding? He's going to wear a Deacon jersey, and he's going to wear a hat that has his logo on it. I think that's what he's going to do. Chris Paul, he is the perfect choice. I'm glad he's doing it. Like I was skeptical he was going to, but I am glad he's the guy. Like, Is there anybody better you can think to do this? First guest picker for the first Wake Forest game day than Chris Paul? You can't come up with something better than that. I mean, I think the only one we even talked about was maybe Tim Duncan. But think but about this Duncan in that spot, though. Probably better. Think yeah. about Duncan in that spot. You really think that Duncan's going to give you real analysis on what's happening with Duke and Notre Dame or whatever, or even faking it? Like, he's just going to be like, I don't really follow it, man. Not so fast, Timmy. Oh, no. It's going to be great. Chris is going to be awesome at it. I- I'm just so happy the point God going to be on... College game day tomorrow. The defending champion Tigers, as we've been talking about, they're going to be in Winston-Salem. Heck, I think they're en route right now. And the Kansas City Chiefs, they won last night. They're both champs. The Tigers, they're the defending ACC champs five times over. And the Chiefs winning the Super Bowl earlier this year. So this week's top 10 list. My top 10 champs. And it's next on The Drive. Before I get to the top 10 list this week, 
Sawyer, would you like to share and show and tell what your audience or what your impression of me is? Like when you think of me and what distinguishes my voice and my mannerisms from everybody else, what it is? It's during the Beamer Tire commercial. Josh says right as right. And it it's always stuck with me probably for two years now. I don't understand how that's the thing that stands out to you. You are a weird person, Sawyer, where you bring up random stuff, like we'd record something, and you're just, you find a fascination with me saying goodbye to people, which is really strange. I'm letting people behind the curtain right now, and I hope it doesn't embarrass you, Sawyer. I think some of the funniest things, the hardest I've ever laughed is when you've made a mistake or just said something funny. And whether it's me or Robert or both of us, and we just replay it for you to hear during the breaks over and over again, there's nothing better than that. I've often said it, the the undefeated content on this show, never lost, is when I make a mistake, when people make fun of me, when you make fun of me, agitating the host is unbeaten content. It is. It's better than any take I've ever had, any guest I've ever had. Me getting agitated, you pissing me off. It's the best content there is. Now I'm going to do something that you're annoyed with. Our weekly top 10 list. Top 10 champs. The five-time defending ACC champs. The Clemson Tigers are in Winston-Salem. And the Kansas City Chiefs kicked things off last night with a two-touchdown win against the Houston Texans. I think they're going to repeat this year. I really do. So in honor of the Chiefs and the Tigers being in the triad, it's time for my top 10 champs. Do you have any guesses for what's going to be on this list? I do not. All right. Going in with an open mind and open heart. Number 10. My number 10 champ. Champ Bailey. Please tell me you know who Champ Bailey is. Football player, correct? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Cornerback? He is a corner. Okay. Well done. Can uh, you give me a team that he played for? I'll accept two answers. I want to say the Broncos. He did play for the Broncos. Really good, Sawyer. Number nine. I love Champ Bailey. Number nine champ. Rocky. Please tell me you've seen Rocky. Never seen Rocky. Oh! Sawyer's never seen Rocky, which means you've never seen Rocky 3 or Rocky 4. I feel like that's not a bad thing. No, that's a good... Uh, no, 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 no. Rocky 3 and Rocky 4 are great. Oh, they're great? I've yeah, never, they really wow, are. Oh, okay. Normally, I enjoy them, like 2. Some don't like hill. 3. I, I don't really like 2. I don't know if that's much of a hot take. But yeah, you need to see Rocky, and you need to see Rocky 4, where you got Ivan Drago telling people, if he dies, he dies. That's probably one of the most noteworthy movies of the entire 80s. Rocky IV. Number eight. My number eight champ. Champ's shoes. Champ's shoes as in like the store at the mall, Champ's shoes? Yes. (laughs) You ever get a pair of shoes from Champ's shoes? Uh, I've not, no. What kind of shoes are you wearing today? How about you stand up, do a little twirl for me here. 
Yeah? I've got some uh, basic just white Nikes on. Nothing too special today. Gosh, how many pairs of shoes do you own? Uh, probably in the high 20s. I don't know. I could see that. I, how many do you wear? I got about three pairs of tennis shoes I'll wear usually, and, you know, maybe, like, a couple pair of, like, slides, three pairs, like, basketball shoes. The okay. rest are just miscellaneous that I wear, every, like, with the perfect outfit they go on, but other than that, they just chill. Yeah, I'm trying to think of my rotation. Yeah, tennis like, shoes-wise? many. You wear the same shoes Easy here now. and to work out. Easy now. Not true, actually. I do not do that. I do not wear the same shoes here that I work out with. How you got dare new you? ones, right? Sarah Bradford showed me your new shoes. And he's got them on. See? So That's right. I, I know you have three shoes now. That's all I know is you have three pairs of shoes. All right. Let me do the math right now on this. Tennis shoes that I wear regularly. Your skateboard. Are we counting shoes. these? Count those. Okay. Then I have four. Whoa. I have four that I wear around regularly. In terms of brown shoes, because you need brown shoes. I have a trashy pair that I, I'm not going to count because it's not really in the rotation. But I have three pairs of brown shoes I can wear. I don't wear black shoes. That's not what I'm about. But I have a pair if I need it. So I'm not counting that. I'm counting shoes that I actually wear here. And then I have a pair of sandals that I would wear to the beach or wear around casually. So what's that? That's eight pairs of shoes. It's not bad. That ain't bad. It's a good rotation to have. I feel happy about it. All right, number seven. You're not a fan of champ shoes, it doesn't sound no. like. Foot Locker all day. Number seven, top ten champs. Michael Champanero. One of my favorite Demon Deacons. He's still pretty high up on those receiving all-time lists. Michael Champanero. Shouts to uh, the DMV. Number six. Top ten champs. The Champions League. Just for you, Sawyer. One I can get behind right there. I don't remember the last time I watched... A European soccer game. You're missing out. I don't know, man. My time's pretty strapped as oh, is. Yeah, you're, you're watching a lot of things. But you get it like Saturday mornings, and there's nothing better than like a Saturday or Sunday morning, you know, football or soccer match, as they would say. Nothing better. College game day tomorrow might be better. Number five. My number five champ, Wilt Chamberlain. I'll even admit that that's a stretch. Wilt Chamberlain. Got to get some of the spelling down on that to make it a uh, a top 10 champ. Yes, Sawyer? Oh, I didn't hear actually what your, your uh, what was that, number six? Oh, you were on the phone? Yeah, I was so that was phones. number five. Yeah. What was it? it was Wilt Chamberlain? Wilt Chamberlain, yeah. Uh. Number four. My number four champ. Popping champagne like we won a championship ring. That's in my AO. You can't finish that line. That's not it's in not, my AO. I was doing your best, like, That's you're trying to sound like Bernie Johnson. Nah, man. I remember walking around the campus of Duke, just hanging out with friends, and that song had just come out. That was about the time where I actually believed Birdman was Lil Wayne's dad. That's a thing I actually believe for a little while. But yeah. You don't get more quintessential 2000s hip-hop than Birdman and Lil Wayne pop bottles, pour them on the models.
Number three! My number three champ. <laughs> I hope you don't clip that. Uh, Will Muschamp. He's got to be on the list. Will Muschamp. I don't think I follow this one. South Carolina's head football coach. Oh, yeah. I would never. Will Muschamp. Yeah. He wasn't great at Florida. And I have a theory. I've never seen a good football coach that wears polo shirts underneath their blazer. He does that. Where he will have a blaze or he'll have a polo shirt on and then just throw the blazer on Ooh, for the press conference. Not it's a, good a bad look. look, and I think it leads to him being a bad football coach. I really believe that. Number two, my number two champ, Bryson D. Champo. Bryson D. Champo. Uh do you like Bryson DeChampo? I like Bryson DeChampo. I think he's good for golf. I'll say it. It might be a hot take, but I think he's good for golf. You should try for a week his diet. Just give it a shot. See if you're able to. I would die, I think. I've never even had a protein shake, so if I try to drink like eight of them, I think I might just end it all. Yeah, my man's yoked. Number one, top ten champ. Champ kind. Whammy! And that is the top 10 list. If there's anything I left out, feel free to let me know at Sports Hub Triad, 336-777-1600. Whammy! Let's go to Rusty. Something that I missed in the top 10 list. Rusty, what did I miss here? You mentioned D. Chambo, and I can't believe you went to golf without Cameron Champ. Oh, Cameron Champ! Oh, my God! Oh, well, good thing we got you here. Yeah, Cameron Champ. He, uh, I mean, he's still, I mean, he's a pretty young golfer, though. Like, I don't know who's yeah, older between him and D-Champo. 300 miles, but yeah. you had D-Champo. I told whoever answered. I don't know if it was Robert. Yeah, it's Sawyer. Sawyer. Sawyer, good job by you. But yeah, you Sawyer knows you. Champ, I told him, I said, I don't know if you guys know much about golf, but Cameron Champ is about third-year players, won two or three times, and his last name's Champ. So Yeah, I missed and, out. And then you mentioned DeChambeau, who's going to have knee and back surgery <laughs> probably before he's 30. You're going to golf this weekend? I don't get to my mailbox. I'm retired and disabled. So all right. All good. Well, thank you for hey. listening to the show. Appreciate it. I kicked some butt in my day five years ago. There so. you go. Rusty kicking butt here on a Friday drive. There you go. Thanks for the call, Rusty. I was at UCLA. Um, I was. Uh, I still remember driving to work when um, I heard that news. And um, I remember sitting in the team room as the players and coaches grappled with whether we should play or not. And then, obviously, all the um, after effects of that. That's Panthers head coach Matt Rule, who was at UCLA 19 years ago when the towers were hit on 9-11. He is a New Yorker, so obviously it's close to home for him. He's getting set for his debut as Panthers head coach Sunday against the Las Vegas Raiders. We are now being joined by Allison Williams, kind enough to spend time with us here in the triad as she gets set to be on the sideline tomorrow night, Wake Forest, Clemson, ABC. 
Wake Forest's first primetime game on network television since 2011, or at least for games at Truist Field. Allison, six months ago today, we were all in Greensboro. March the 11th was Wake, it was uh, Syracuse facing North Carolina, and we learned while that game was happening what transpired in Oklahoma City with Rudy Gobert testing positive for coronavirus and Tom Hanks by halftime had it. What sticks out to you about that day in Greensboro six months ago? Yeah, man, um, it's crazy how much and how little has changed since then, huh? Yeah. Um, I would say that the thing that sticks out to me the most is just how quickly it all changed. I mean, I left the arena that day, like, preparing to do a game business as usual the following day. By dinner that night, we knew there wouldn't be fans. And, you know, I remember sitting there with uh, Dan Schulman and Jay Billis and producer Dave O'Brien and a few others, and, um, you know, Billis being like, the NCAA tournament's not going to happen. And I, I, I couldn't even, like, wrap my mind around that in that moment. And then by the next, you know, not even 24 hours later, I'm on SportsCenter talking about that. So it just all unfolded so, so quickly. And um, it just was kind of one of the more, more sad days that I've had uh, in this business. It was definitely a memorable one, but for all the, all the wrong reasons. You called uh, Navy and BYU on Monday. It was your interview with Ken Niamatololo that we learned that his team had not practiced live, tackled Mm -hmm. live at any point until Monday's game. And we saw Navy very uh, uncharacteristically uh, undisciplined. They were unable to get BYU on the ground and they allowed 50 plus points and got blown out on Monday night. But also you had a chance to see what a football game would look like with no fans in the stands like we're going to see tomorrow at Truist Field. I'm going to be there. I'm trying to prepare myself mentally for what it's going to be like. So help me out here. How did your experiences uh, and your expectations meet the reality of what it actually was in Annapolis Monday night? Yeah, I mean, as you would expect, it was really bizarre. It was kind of eerie. Um, a few moments stand out to me pregame. I was down on the field. Gosh, it wasn't even uh, like an hour before the game. And at that moment, there was no sound being played at all from the speakers. And a couple of players came out to warm up for Navy. I mean, you could hear them breathing. Like it, it was uncomfortably silent. I was glad that they made the decision to pump in like the ambient kind of white noise during the play, if you will. Um, it, it takes kind of the edge off of the quiet. The one thing, though, that is undeniable is just the lack of energy. Um, I was trying to describe it after the game to some friends. I'm like, I don't want this to come across the wrong way, but it made it almost feel inconsequential. Like, like it didn't matter, which I know it did, right? So it almost creates this, like, dissonance in your mind. Like, if there's nobody there to experience this, how it changes it. And it really did. You didn't have... You know, the momentum, well, you didn't have the momentum swings because the game went the way it did. But you didn't have the, you didn't see the tangible impact on fans that the outcome on the field had. And usually you can. There's a direct reaction, whether it's a positive or a negative or a cheer or a boo or they're upset or they're happy or they're celebrating. There's a tangible experience um, from the fans based on what happens on the field. And you just didn't have that. Um, there, there were things that were different too and a kind of, 
cool way. I mean, like I could hear so much more of the interactions um, between players, like yelling from the sidelines onto the field and stuff like that, which was kind of unique. Um, but just from an energy standpoint, it, it was different. Even for myself personally, like I usually get this um, like ping of, it's like a nervous energy, you know, like your stomach, like, all right, we're going live, national audience, big time college football game. And it, I physically did not feel that at the level I usually would in that type of game and that type of atmosphere without the fans there. I mean, it really has that much of an impact. So I'm, I'll be curious to talk to you after and see what you think, because in my opinion, even having 50 fans or 500 fans or 5,000 fans makes a significant exponential difference over zero fans. When there is nobody in the audience, it just doesn't feel big. It doesn't feel impactful. And you know it is, and you know what they're playing for, and you know how much it means to these guys, but I'm telling you, when the fans aren't there to react, the energy, it just doesn't, it doesn't feel like it means as much. It's, it's a weird, eerie, like bizarre <laughs> setting that I, I hope we don't have to experience again after 2020. We are lucky that great writers like Wright Thompson, they've chosen to be interested in sports and share their perspective and communicate how they feel about things through the prism of sports. I remember he wrote the essay about all these games not having fans, and his concern, loving Ole Miss football, was mm -hmm. that watching was going to break his heart. Watch mm -hmm. a football game with no atmosphere. And my concern yeah. is, and this is my fear, that I'm going to get there tomorrow night, and I'm going to sit in the press box, I'm going to watch this game, and you're describing the energy and how it feels maybe in a sense inconsequential and it's just going to hurt me inside as a college football it will. fan. It will. It does. Because if, you know what else it does, though, Josh, is that it makes you realize what makes college football special in a way that I don't think we would appreciate otherwise. And I've all, we've always all known it, but I think it is, it is now slapping us in the face. Like the atmosphere in a college football game, is special and it doesn't matter where you go it doesn't matter what stadium you're in it's special and it's the passion it's the creativity it's the dedication of fans their investment is so much of what makes the sport great um to me it's the difference between the nfl and college to me the nfl is a great product on the field it can feel sterile and the difference is the fans and the atmospheres and the stadiums and all those things that um, you're not going to see tomorrow night. And uh, I'll be curious, like, how you feel, because I know for me it was, um, it, was, it, was it was a little sad. I mean, honestly, um, yeah, I mean, you understand why it's happening and all that, but it really does, it does, um, it, it, it really makes you realize why you love, or part of why you love college football. And it's, it's that passion that the fans bring. Yeah, and I'll let you know at halftime, give you my thought on that. But college yeah. game day, we're going to see for the first time what it's like with no fans tomorrow at Truist Field at 9 a.m. Chris Paul's going to be the guest picker, so we'll keep an eye on that on ESPN. Allison Williams is with us here, going to be on the sidelines on ABC for Wake Forest and number one Clemson follower on Twitter, why don't you, at AllisonW underscore sports. I understand he had a chance to catch up with Dave Clawson a short while ago. What's the most interesting thing he had to say? Yeah, Dave was great. You know, it's always a little um, it's different. You know, these coaches' meetings are all like, on zoom and so all you know virtual and stuff um i would say that he he likes his team um i think that as they have so often like you know up front they're replacing a bunch of guys it seems like it's interesting to me with wake forest right like they always have 
guys to plug in, but I feel like they're each year on offense, even though they figure it out, they're always plugging in guys at like key spots. Um, so I think he's excited to see what Sam Hartman can do and kind of the, the work he's had in this off season. I feel like he's bigger and he's stronger. Um, and I just think he knows like, this is obviously a very, very difficult way to open the season with the number one ranked team in the country. And, you know, a team that's held him to combine six points the last two games. So he's going to learn a lot about his team tomorrow night. Um, and he said it's uh, B-Y-O-J, bring your own juice. Yeah. And I thought it was funny. Like he said, um, they're going to dress everybody on the roster. So they have, what, 125, 126 guys, and he is dressing them all. And literally the 40 that usually would not be dressed, who would not travel, you know, travel restrictions, whatever, for um, – road games so there's like 45 of them he said literally their job is to bring the energy and he's like i will have cameras on them and if they are not (laughs) cheering enthusiastic if their hands are in their pockets and they're just walking around they're not going to dress again for a home game (laughs) so he is putting it on those guys that might not see the field to uh to bring the energy and try and make up for some of that that's lacking from the Uh, it's so dave glossett it is it really is where he's the guy that has the the uh, the banners protecting from potential press box peekers of who might be trying to capture capture their signals and things of that nature. That's a typical coach answer. I love coaches <laughs> trying to be uh, trying to be in control of things. Gosh, but I'm interested in that type of stuff. Is there anything else? And talking to Coach Ken or talking to um, Coach uh, Sataki with um, BYU or talking to Dabo Sweeney that mm-hmm. kind of kind of caught your interest things that they're having to do now that they haven't considered before I'm thinking about like Matt Rule telling us that he's communicated to Teddy Bridgewater hey I don't know how loud this ambient noise is going to be at games so make sure you're not too loud with your cadence and your call or else teams are going to be able to pick up what your play is things that you would never consider doing in the past is there anything else like that that you've heard Hmm, that's really interesting. Um, not from Dabo specifically. I think he has such like veteran guys that he's not as concerned about that. And he's like kind of a big high energy guy, regardless of the situation. So I just think you'll be like seeing Dabo being Dabo because um, he's kind of that energy guy. Anyways, I know like Kalani at the halftime uh, for BYU was saying how he needed to like start busting out some dance moves because he didn't like the energy these guys had. And lo and behold, in the second half, he was like. Boston out the dance moves. I also heard that his pregame speech was like the best um, that they had ever heard from him. So I just think you're seeing coaches just try to bring it a little bit more and just get their guys, you know, a little more juiced up. You're going to see it pregame too. I know you'll be there. Like watch it. You'll see guys are super vocal. They're super like clapping, jumping around, like dancing around, just trying to, to kind of get themselves amped up and, and ready to go and at that that speed and that adrenaline going that they need for the game. Allison, look forward to seeing you tomorrow night. Thanks for making the time today, and I uh, hope you can catch up sometime soon. Sounds good. Take care. We'll see you tomorrow. There you go. That's Allison Williams at AllisonW underscore sports from ESPN and ABC. That is just fascinating stuff. Because it is the energy. You need to bring it. I've I've covered my fair share of games in Conference USA and the American Conference where ECU would go on the road somewhere and Tulane, when they used to play at the Superdome, 
would have like eight people, right? So I've seen sparsely attended games. Not nobody allowed, so I think it's going to be different than that. But those were always the games they were fearful of losing. Because when you're accustomed to having tons of people at games and you don't get that, you don't get that, you might overlook it or think it's inconsequential or think that this is Bush League, right? So you have to prepare for that. Part of me thinks Wake Forest might be better with this because they have a smaller stadium. They don't really sell it out, right? They're used to being at a smaller school. So I'm not saying it's going to be like anything they've seen before, but Clemson's used to playing in front of what? 75, 80,000 people every single week? I'm taking Wake Forest plus the 32. That's what I'm doing here, Sawyer. Wake Forest plus, let's make it 33. Wake Forest plus 33. I'm going to need that extra point. Actually, I hope I don't need that extra point. Gosh, I really am just hoping it doesn't break my heart tomorrow. That is my biggest concern. I'm I'm legitimately nervous about this. I have no idea what to expect. It's the six-month anniversary of the last time I attended a sporting event. What is it going to be like with no fans? I've never been to a game with no fans. I'll give you my honest, unfiltered opinion on it on Monday. I'll let you know exactly what it's like to be at a game when there are no fans in the stands. It's tough to figure out how to prepare for that mentally. Like the players, it's one thing. For us who love college football and love the environment, it's it's different. Um, but it matters. 